What's up, everyone? Hey, where are my Fresno peeps? Okay, I just need a little encouragement before I talk about what I'm going to talk about tonight. Tonight is heavy, and uh, I just want, I want you to think about this question tonight as we get started. What is my sin? Not what is sin, not, not on a, a large scale, how do you define sin? I want you to answer the question, what is your sin? What is the sin you choose? What is the sin that plagues you? If I had to ask you what your sin of choice was, what would you say? When we left off, Adam and Eve were in the garden. They had a choice to make. They had all of these incredible trees that they could eat from, but there was one. There was one that they couldn't eat from, that God said, no, not that one. And if you choose not to eat from that tree, you choose me. But if you choose that tree, you choose you. And you choose sin. And you choose rebellion. And so as we left off, they, they had a choice and they made that choice. And that choice was to rebel against the God who only loved them. We left off with, without talking about the consequences of that rebellion, but tonight that's what this is all about. And so we're going to talk about the, the consequences that started in the garden and continue in our hearts, this rebellion that all of us have towards the God of the universe. But before we get there, I got to tell you a story. So I'm going to move this over. I feel like I need to be in the middle. So, uh, I'm going to tell you a story, and I got to like, give you a caveat. I need to, to preface it with, I'm not proud of this story. So this is not like, you should do this. This is not, hey, when you get home, uh, Pastor Mike said, this is the way to live your life. This is a, a very clear what not to do, but I got to tell the story. So I was in 12th grade. Where are my seniors at? Okay, you have a year to get a lot more excited about being a senior. I was a senior, Royal High School in Southern California. I was playing baseball, and uh, they have this thing in California where you need to have a certain amount of math credits to graduate. And so every senior, at least when I was in high school, which was like a gazillion years ago, every senior had to take a math class. But, but you didn't have to take like calculus or or even like algebra or geometry, like you just had to take a math class and you needed a semester worth of credits. That was the California guideline. So uh, lazy students like me, they, they, would, uh, they would take this class, it's called senior math. That's literally what they call it. It's only available to seniors, it's only a semester, and you could take it as a fourth grader and probably pass it, I promise you. And so I, I, I was actually a pretty good student, but uh, I took this class because I, I was, it was a senior. I was a senior. I, didn't, I don't want to take hard classes my senior year. Who does that? And so I got senior math, fifth period. And I had baseball, sixth period. So I got, to, I got to class on the first day. My teacher was a space cadet. Like this guy was 75 years old, and he was not, I don't even know how he got the job. I didn't hear a, a, a single thing he taught. I was able to take the tests and get A's on all of my tests. But what I learned 
is that after he took attendance, my seat was right by the door. He left the door open. So after he took attendance, I could leave and he wouldn't be any of the wiser. And so I sat there, waited for him to take attendance. And when he turned his back to the door, I just grabbed my stuff and walked out, went to sit in my baseball coach's class or went out to the fields early to get a little extra work in. And I thought I was, I thought I was fooling everybody until graduation drew close. My counselor, Mrs. Dawson, I remember her like it was yesterday. She loved me. I could, I couldn't do any wrong in her, in her eyes. So she calls me into her office and she's like, we got a problem. She's like, we have this, we have this rule at school that if you don't show up to class, you don't graduate. And I'm like, what? Nobody ever told me that rule. She's like, yeah. And you have 30 absences in one class in one semester. 30. I didn't even know there's 30 days of school in a semester. Like 30 days I missed. Every time I left, he saw me. I thought he was, I thought he was clueless. This guy was sharp as a tack. He knew everything. And so every time I left, he would just mark. He was up to something. He could have said something. He could have called me like after five absences and been like, I see. He just let me keep doing it. 30 times. And I remember sitting in her office so scared that I wasn't going to graduate. That's right. No internet here, so good luck. I was so scared I wasn't going to graduate, and I'm sitting in her office dwelling on the, the consequences of my decisions. I was just trying to get out of class. I had an A in the class. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, you're not supposed to graduate. But you know what? How about I say this? If you miss one more class, you're not going to graduate. The only thing, the only thing that, that kept me from the weight and the consequences of my choices was grace. And I tell you that to set up what's coming. Because we're going to deal with consequences tonight. We're going to deal with two people who tried to cover their own, their own consequences. We're going we're gonna to deal with some people in the garden who, who tried to do it on their own and they couldn't. And all that could save anyone is grace. You guys, we're going to be in Genesis 3. We're going to be in Romans 2. So put your finger in Romans 2, open up to Genesis 3. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 7. It says in Genesis 3, starting in verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, Adam and Eve. They got what they wanted, right? They got what they wanted. Their eyes were open. They had more knowledge than they ever had before. We'll see if it's a good thing. It says, uh, their eyes both the, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. Something's changed because for every day they've been in the garden, they haven't had to wear clothes, and all of a sudden they're standing in front of each other, and they're like, "Oh gosh, that's different. I've never seen it like that before. Like 
all of a sudden, because of their decision, shame comes into the picture. They look at at their own bodies and they're like, I got to cover this up. There's something wrong with me. And and so so shame enters the picture. And here's what they do. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They look at their shame. They look at the thing that's changed, the consequences of their sin, and they go, I got to do something about this. And so they go, and they, they cut these fig leaves, and, and they, try to, they try to cover up their own sin and shame and guilt. And then as they're, as they're sitting in the consequences of their sin, it says in verse 8, they, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The God of the universe creates you to be in relationship with him. He puts you in the garden so that he can care for you. And your choice brings in the separation to where when you hear his face, your first thought is to hide. Your first thought is to say, he can't see me like this. What have I done? And so, so they hide in the garden. They, they hide among the trees. And then the, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Why would God do that? God knew exactly where he was. But as God calls out, Adam, where are you? He's saying, you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to hide from me. I'm God. I know, I know everything. He wants Adam to, to own up to what he's done. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. First time in history that fear comes into play. Look, you guys, we're four verses in. And we've got guilt, shame, and fear all being ushered into the world. Things that God never designed us to feel. Things that he never wanted us to know. Because that's why he didn't want them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because he knew the consequences. He knew that that fear and shame and guilt and blame, which is coming up next, he knew that that was going to be ushered into this world, that there are consequences to our sin. And so Adam's afraid, and he hides. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? God knew. Why did God ask this question? Because he wants us to confess to him. He's setting an example to us so, so that two th- or thousands of years later that we might confess our sins to the God who can forgive us. He, 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 he says, who told you that? Have you eaten from the tree? And the man said, the, the woman whom you gave to be with me, it's her fault. God, I was innocent. But you know, you know that woman She gave me from the tree and I ate. And we start to see passing the blame come into the world. 
not taking, not taking the responsibility for what we choose to do. And then the Lord God turns to the woman who is just like, I mean, that's a horrible marriage, by the way. Like, it's her fault. First sin, not me. It's all about her. How do you trust after that? I don't know. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And we're starting to see what happens when we sin. Did you guys catch it? When we sin, we don't like to take the responsibility. When we have consequences, we don't like to take the responsibility. We like to to pass it off. And so we'll blame somebody else. If we're in a relationship that goes too far, it's their fault. They pushed me to do it. If, if, we're, if, if, we, if we're lying, it's their fault. We, we had to lie to, to not get in trouble. We, we start to, to rationalize our sin, and we see it as early as the garden. When Adam and Eve are like, not my fault. And then in verses 14 through 22, God starts to, to hand down even more consequences. Life becomes hard for humanity. The man is going to work as if he always has, but now it's going to be hard. There's going to be thorns and thistles and weeds, and and the woman is going to have pain in in childbearing. We experience that consequence every day. How many of you guys have a job? How many of you like going to work? Okay, a handful of you. I think I proved my point. Like most jobs are not fun to do. Anybody do manual labor? Do you like it? Good, you're in the right job. Stay there because there are some people that do not like it. Uh, listen, life got hard. That's what I want you to get from that. There are consequences. And then in, in verses 20 through, 22 through 24, we're going to see the greatest of all consequences. It says, then the Lord God said, behold, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And God says, he's become like one of us, but he cannot in this state become immortal. He, he, in this state, he can't experience eternal life. He, he's, not, he's not in a, in a condition, in a relationship with me that, that, that gives way to eternal life. We cannot keep him in this garden or else he's going to experience the riches of living with me, even though he is, even though he has ruined our relationship. And it says in verse 23, therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve had it made. They had it made. They had everything they could have wanted. And with one act of rebellion, they lose everything. They're kicked out of the garden. There's a, a separation between them and God. There's a, a, a big angel guarding the gates to, to, the, to the garden with flaming sword. That's intimidating. And, and all of a sudden, they're, they're just like, what do we do? And they experience for the first time that their happiness it didn't come 
from being more like God. It simply came from being with God. And now they no longer have access to the tree of life. Now they no longer have a perfect relationship with the God of the universe. And now death awaits them. We see in the garden that there were consequences for the rebellion. In the book of Romans, Paul's going to talk more about the consequences that humanity still faces thousands of years later. Look at Romans 2. He says, therefore, church at Rome, therefore, Heartland Christian camps, you have no excuse. None. You have no excuse. You have, you, you, you have no excuse that you could come up with. Not ignorance. Ignorance is this idea that I just didn't know. See, someday you're going to stand before God. Everybody in this place will stand before God. Everyone will die. I promise you that. That's one, the only promise I can for sure keep. You will die. At some point, we all will face our maker. We will stand before God and we'll be accountable for the lives that we lived. And you know what? We're all going to stand before God and he's going to ask us, why should I let you into my heaven? And I didn't know is not going to be an answer. He's not going to go, oh, okay. That's enough. Just come on in. Ignorance is not going to be enough. Indifference is not going to be enough. Indifference is the idea, like, I just didn't care. It's like the agnostic uh, feel, like, eh, God probably exists, but I'll find out when I die. You don't want that. You don't want to find out if God exists when you're standing in front of him in, in the judgment seat. Like, you don't, you, don't, you don't want that. Indifference is not going to be an excuse to get you into heaven. Confusion is not going to be an excuse to get you into heaven. You can't stand before God and go, ah, you know, there was all these gods, and yeah, somebody said Jesus was the way. Oh, it's him. Jesus said he's the way, by the way. Uh, somebody, somebody said Jesus was the way, and I was like, yeah, but maybe not. Like, all that seems great, and Buddha, there's a lot to be said for thousands of gods and reincarnation, and I just got so confused. And God's going to say, I gave you my word, and I gave you my son. And both of them, in 2022, at Heartland Christian camps were shared with you. Confusion is not going to be an answer. And he goes on in verse one, he says, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. This is a big statement to a church he's never met before. See, in, in the opening remarks of Romans, Paul's like, I want to come to you. I haven't been able to. Never met you. But here's my letter to your church. And he, it's two chapters in. He's like, you're all a bunch of sinners. How does he make that statement? He's never met them. How does, they, they could be good people, Right? I mean, it's a church, right? They're, they could be good people. Like they could, they could probably like feed homeless people and, and they could probably help old ladies cross the street. Like they could, they could do all the things that society thinks is nice. How could he make that statement? It's because he understood the human condition. Because just one chapter later, he's gonna write this. For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. It's interesting, the Greek for, for all here, it means all. The Greek for all, it means all. Every one of us, all, all people in the history of the world on the planet have sinned. Not one has not sinned except for Jesus. And so he looks at the church at Rome and he goes, you judge people for their sin, but you're a sinner also. You're a sinner also. The same things you judge, you do in some other way. By the way, side comment, we love to judge sin that we don't have, right? We love to judge sin that's not our sin. Side comment, back to this, okay. And he says, he says in, in verse two, he says, and we know, sinners, we know that judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. In other words, y'all deserve hell. Everyone here, me included, we all deserve hell. We all, we all deserve the judgment because God's justice is right. His, his justice is perfect. And we don't have to like something for it to be true. I think we, we, we go through life and we're like, if I don't like it, it's not true. We, we start to judge things based on whether or not it's something that, that hits us in the right way. We don't have to like things to be true. I don't, I don't like that in and out or raising canes is bad for me, but if I eat too much of it, I get the best dad bod on the planet. Thank you. If my wife were here, she'd clap. We don't like God's justice. I don't know anybody that does. Like the fact that, the fact that he's just is a good thing, right? Because it makes him God. But I don't just sit there at night and go, God, I'm so glad that all these people are going to hell. We don't like God's judgment and his justice all the time, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Paul warns us about the righteous judgment of God, but he also understands our capacity to diminish God's judgment. Look what he says, starting in verse three. But do you suppose this, oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing the kindness of God leads you to repentance? He says, People misunderstand this justice of God. People misunderstand what it looks like, who it's for. We, we go through life and we diminish the judgment of God. We're like, hey, I don't care if I die because all people go to heaven. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm a pretty smooth talker. Like someday I'm gonna stand before God and I'll convince him to let me into heaven. It doesn't work like that. You can be the, the smoothest talker on the planet. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell and you're spending eternity apart from God. The justice of God is perfect and heaven is not a place for good people. It's a place for saved people. As we go on in Romans 2, Paul wants them to know the, the exact cause of the wrath that is awaiting them. 
And this is important. I don't want you to miss this because so often we blame God for the wrath. But he says, starting in verse five, don't miss this, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds or her deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. And so he, he separates two different people. But he says, he says the, the cause of wrath is not God. I want you to hear that. God is not to blame. If you go to hell, God is not to blame. He's not, he, he's not the God that sends people to hell. We send ourselves there. And by his grace, he plucks some of us out of the fire. We spend way too much time blaming God, wondering how a good God could send people to hell. That's not what he does. He simply gives justice where justice is due. And Paul makes it very clear that it's our unrepentant hearts. It's our stubbornness that stores up the wrath. It's kind of like this. Um, is anybody bad at Spanish in here? Like really bad? Okay, <laughs> good. It's not just me. It would be like you getting an F in Spanish. Don't raise your hand if that's you. But you can't get below an F. F minus? You got kicked out? What? You guys are confessing way too much to me. I don't even know you. <laughs> F minus is a thing. Getting kicked out of Spanish is a thing. And now I know way too much about you. But here we go. Okay. It's, I don't know. I'll learn it later. Okay. So it's like you, it's like you getting an F minus. Thank you very much for redefining my low standards. It's like you getting an F minus in Spanish. And then going, how can my teacher give me an F minus? So you earned it. You don't even know, you don't even know how to say hello, where's the bathroom? Hola, don't esta el baño. Like it's it's not I was a C student and I get that. You earned the F. Teachers just give what you earned, and God just gives what we earned. We send ourselves to hell, but God in his love, provides a way out. He finishes verse seven. He, he points to a glimmer of hope. He says in, uh, in verse seven, he, he says, to those who by perseverance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Now, don't, don't get this confused. You could take this out of context and think that you could somehow earn your way into heaven. See, Isaiah tells us that even our best deeds are like filthy rags to God. So you can go try and earn your way to heaven and all God's gonna do is throw you in the trash where filthy rags belong. See what he's talking about, he's talking about the good that's possible through a regenerated heart. The good that's possible when, when we've been redeemed and only through redemption can we do good in the eyes of God. In verses eight and nine, Paul's gonna 
reveal the consequence of sin further. So he says, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. Okay, so everybody, right? I mean, we all, we all can, can relate to that. I mean, he pretty much covered every sin. So whatever your sin of choice is, a lot of times mine is pride. A lot, a lot of times mine is, I, I, I really love comfort. I really love to, to, to do what I want to do. Sometimes I, I would prefer to, to be God, even though I'm not. Like, I, I relate with Adam and Eve. The, those are my sins, but he, he covers all of them. So no matter, no matter what yours are here, he's, he covers them. And he's going, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, just one chapter later. And so he points to all of these sins, and he says, to you, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. And in case you didn't catch the every soul of man, he goes on to say the Jew first and also the Greek, meaning everybody, Jew and Gentile. It's no different. He, has, he makes no different promises with the nation of Israel as he does with anybody outside of the nation of Israel. This is God's standard. So what does it look like? Well, it looks like being someone who puts themselves and their comforts first. I don't know if you relate with that. That's my sin of choice. Maybe it's yours also. It looks like someone who, who likes to party hard on the weekends even if you show up to church on Sunday. It looks like someone who has a temper and lets their anger get the best of them. It it looks like someone who struggles with lust. It looks like a lot of things that we choose in this life. And he says that for these people, for you and for me, the fruit of our sin is tribulation and distressed souls. This is how Jesus describes hell. You ready? Matthew 13, 49 and 50. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If that's not bad enough, here's how he goes on to describe it in Luke chapter 16. It's the rich man and Lazarus. This is what he says about the rich man. He's in Hades. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment for eternity. In torment. You and me, Jew and Gentile, man and woman, boy and girl, this is what awaits anyone and everyone who sins, a place of torment. And I I know some of you are here this week because somebody else made you come. Maybe it was your parent, maybe it was some person you know, and they're just like, we're sending you, and you, you got on the bus, or you got in the car, and you came up here, and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. You're here to hear this. You are here to hear this message, that sin deserves hell, that it deserves judgment. And to you, I say, I don't, if, if you don't care, if you're here and you're just, you're saying, I don't really care what happens to me when I die. Then I say, you don't understand what hell is really like. Because you and me, apart from the grace of God that we don't deserve, This is the future 
This is what awaits us. And then Paul, in verse 10 and following, he's going to give us another glimpse at what we'll talk about tomorrow. He says, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, again, through repentance and reconciliation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. You're not going to be able to sweet talk him. You're not going to be able to tell him what you did or didn't know or why you should get into heaven. You could probably sweet talk your way into, into a lot of different circumstances, but you can't do that to heaven. He says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. It doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter how, what, how good of a kid you think you are. The standard is not other people. Because I could stand up here all day and go, well, compared to so-and-so over there, I'm, I'm pretty good. Well, I've never done that. I've never been to prison. So that makes me a pretty good person. If the standard were other people, that might work, but the standard is a holy and perfect God. And so one blemish disqualifies us. In chapter six of his letter to the Romans, Paul makes the cost of disciples or the cost of uh, the rebellion even clearer. Verse 23 of Romans six, plain and simple. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, the tragedy if it stopped there. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the, the cost for our sin is one word with two meanings. It's, it's this idea of physical death and, and spiritual death. It's, it's death, period. And all of a sudden, we have to deal with this idea that, that we're gonna die. I think that's the obvious one, right? We've all been to funerals. We've all seen maybe people that we love who, who, have, who have left this earth because they've died. That's not a surprise to us, but it wasn't the plan. That wasn't the original plan of God. But there's also this other idea of spiritual death, this idea that we're separated from God for eternity. This is a scary one. I'm going to date myself a little bit, but maybe some of you leaders uh, will, will help me out. Have you ever seen The Sixth Sense? Okay, maybe more than, more than I thought. All right. So this movie, I love this movie. Like it, I love movies with like crazy twists at the end. Memento, great movie. If you haven't seen it, watch that. Okay, here we go. The Sixth Sense. It starts out and the whole movie just builds. And it's, it's about this kid, and he's, he's meeting with this therapist, and, and, uh, and, and the kind of the tagline, the reason why he's meeting with a therapist is because he sees dead people, right? Okay, get the theme. Okay, he sees dead people, and he's like meeting, he's meeting with the, the therapist, and the therapist is talking with him, and, and it gets to the end of the movie, and you find out the therapist has been dead the whole time. Listen. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's been out for 23 years. If you needed more time than that to watch it, that's on you. That is on you. You cannot, you cannot spoil a movie that's been out longer than you've been alive. Okay, so don't miss the point. This therapist, he's been walking around. He's been talking to people. He's, it's good. I don't know who gave him a license to practice like psychology, but he didn't, he didn't even realize that his wife wasn't talking back to him. 
Like she, he's like talking to her and she's ignoring him. And I'm the, the idiot that's like, didn't even pick up on it in the movie either. But here's the scary part. He's, he's walking around dead the whole time. He's walking around and he thinks he's alive, but he's really dead. And you guys, that is the spiritual condition of someone in sin. The scary part is you could be walking around. You could feel like you're alive. You could be breathing. You could be talking to people. But all along, you're spiritually dead. Because what what awaits us? Spiritual death. We see both of these, physical and spiritual death in the Garden of Eden. Both Adam and Eve eventually died, and they were removed from the Garden because of their rebellion, because they disobeyed God. And sin leads to two things. You guys, I want you to walk away from here understanding one thing. Sin is horrible. Like sin is the thing that separates us from God. It's the thing that that ruins our lives. It looks fun for a little while, but it has horrible consequences. I want you to leave here determined not to choose sin, but to choose life. And it has two, it's led to two things, death. We covered that, right? We, We covered physical and spiritual death. It wasn't God's design. He he mourns our separation. Tomorrow we're going to see his response. He created us for relationship with him, and now that's in jeopardy. It leads to death, but it also leads to hopelessness. When you realize the depths of your sin, apart from grace, I can't imagine a more hopeless situation. I can't imagine a more hopeless point of view or perspective to know that you are a sinner. And what awaits you is eternal torment. This is not what God wanted the first night when I was here when he created us, when he scooped us up and breathed life into us. This was not his plan. It's gone horribly wrong. And here's the cool part. I want to tell you the cool part because I I feel like this has been a little bit of a Debbie Downer message. The cool part is he created us anyway. He loved us that much that he said, I know they're going to mess up and I'm going to provide a way back. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. But this was not God's plan. It's funny, God always seems to want more for us than we want for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, oh, help us to hate sin. Help us to hate sin as much as you hate sin. Help us to love what you love and hate what you hate. God, I pray that you would open the eyes of anybody in here that needs to be open, that you, that you would 
that you would show them the depths of their depravity because, Lord, the only way we can understand tomorrow the heights of your grace is if we understand how far you've pulled us out of. God, work in our hearts tonight. Show us our sin. Search our hearts. Help us to see how we've wronged you. Lead us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.